0: Hello and welcome to I'd Sooner Forget This, a podcast where guests share with you a part of themselves from their past. For example, when I was 21, I wrote a blog titled Class, which ended with this paragraph. Love them or hate them, class divides are always going to be there. The superclass is evidence that money is not enough to allow you access to the elite. But do you really want to be part of the elite? They're so inbred that they all look like horses. (laughs) I would rather go down a mine, and <laughs> <laughs> at least I would have my dignity. Uh, <laughs> I'm Terrell Smith, and uh, joining me this week is comedian George Rigdon.
2: Hello, mate. You alright? Yeah, good man. Lo- lovely flat you've got, by the way.
0: Thank you very much.
2: Yeah, it's very nice. Uh, yeah.
0: What's your favourite thing in there? Uh, I like the Epiphone SG.
2: That's pretty as a guitar for the laymen's at home. Uh, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. How long have you had that?
0: Thirteen years. So you when you were 14? Yeah. Are you from money? How did you afford that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is... Well, I'm not from... No, I, I don't know. I can't remember. How much? It's like 400 quid, isn't it? No, that was like... 300 quid (laughs) it's a hundred pounds less it's not much (laughs) less it was like 300 quid it was a bargain I don't know this isn't what this podcast is about George sorry mate
2: it's a lovely guitar and I'm
0: very happy for you uh, thank you very much right (laughs) good god (laughs) George what have you got for us I've sort of got two things.
2: I've got two things to talk about. I've got one thing with me, because the other thing I gave to someone else, and we'll get to that later. But right now I've got with me um, a CD that I bought when I was 15, uh, when I was on holiday in France, um, and I had a really unhealthy obsession, and still do to this day, with the band The Pogues. And um, the very best of, of The Pogues was on sale on CD in this French hypermarche, as my dad calls it, because he doesn't speak French. Um, and I became such a big fan of the Pogues, I started kind of stalking them a bit, and um, I went to go see that. I actually became quite friendly with one of them. And you became
0: friendly with one of the Pogues.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I became quite. I, 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 still, I still sort of am, not as much as I was, because he lives in America now, and I probably took it too far. Um, Which member of the Pogues? Uh, his name's Spider Stacy. He played the tin whistle. Yeah, genuinely what's a true. tin whistle? It's the it's the penny whistle. You know, penny whistle, like a oh, Irish okay. whistle. Yeah, 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 yeah. He played that, and uh, he was really sound and really cool, and still is um and uh i wrote to him because i became like i said i became pathetically obsessed with them um and i wrote to him saying i was his number one fan which makes me want to kill myself and, <laughs> and he replied saying no one has ever said that before <laughs> it was at the time i was like oh great but now i'm mortified of embarrassment that i ever said that to a grown man um but yeah he was really really lovely and he like used to give me free tickets to go see them and stuff and i used to go with my friends every year and it was always great fun and the first time i went i took the cd along and um Justin they been getting signed by a few of the band. It was like a back after sort of after party kind of thing that I was invited to. Um, I was just walking around with a sharpie, just getting more scribble on it. Uh, but Shane McGowan, the lead singer of the Pogues, and uh, probably my actual hero, wasn't there because he was obviously fucking hammered, and, uh, and they wouldn't let me meet him because I was like fifteen, and it probably would have like. Trod some legality problems. Yeah. Um, but I remember really vividly. So Spider ran, no, Spider's girlfriend, Louise, who's really nice, ran off with um, my CD and my autograph book because uh, I was an autograph collector back then. And we'll get to more of that later. Um, and she ran off with those things to get him signed by Shane. And she came back and he signed the CD um, on the inside of the of the inlay he signed it saying dear george up the ira <laughs> and i mean it feels a little that's, i mean that's comparable to i think carrying a shoe bomb with your, with your hand <laughs> like, a yeah. like you took that onto a plane be like what is this why is that why have you got that oh, i a big fan of the pokes yeah but why the ira thing i couldn't tell you but yeah he did that and he my my, my mate who I was with as well because we were both um his name was andy we we're both autograph hunters and uh he took his autograph book as well and because um i think louise in the walk from us to shane it was like backstage about like 200 feet away we couldn't see him or anything um she'd forgotten my mate's name because i just brought him along and because she'd forgotten his name he just wrote to fucking nobody (laughs) (laughs) it was like such such an insane man but he wrote the greatest song of all time so there you go which is fairy tale of new york is the best Um song of all time Daryl, come on.
0: Well, I, I didn't want to immediately... Assume that I'd be that basic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought you were going to go for like a, an album track. Can you name any album tracks? Uh, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, the Pogues are great. That's the thing. Like, they are genuinely amazing. But yeah, Tale of New York, I think it's the best song I've ever
0: written. I'm really amazed by how you got heavily involved with the Pogues. Right, okay. <laughs> like, how does a 15-year-old like end up at a pogue's party. A pogue's party.
2: Um so I remember so I remember really vividly, like my mum used to um I used to be in a brass band. Uh can you believe I lost my virginity in my early to mid twenties? <laughs> um I was in a brass band with my mum until I was about eighteen. Um from the age of about I think I was, she started taking me on when I was about eight. I was really young when I started playing um and we were both in a single called a training band which practiced on a friday night it was like younger like it was like teenagers and stuff like playing brass instruments and stuff and she would drive me along and every christmas though like, because my dad's a miserable bastard we wouldn't have christmas lights on our house but we me and my mum both loved like really tacky sort of houses adorned of with Christmas lights and stuff. So she would like drive us we'd leave for band practice about an hour early and just go around all the sort of houses on the way to the band practice looking at all the houses with big Christmas lights on. Just sort of go like, oh look how wonderful that is. And when we did that we'd have like a Christmas CD on in the car. And I remember like so the, the it was like the first six tracks were uh John Lennon, the War is over one, Wonderful Christmas done Paul McCartney, um I think it was Wizard and then Slade and then band-aid those are the first five and i already knew all those songs and uh, i don't know why but i, I would obviously but then the number six was fairy tale of new york and i'd obviously heard it before like just by proxy but like i'd never like listened to it which sounds really lame but i never like i just heard it in the background but i never like sort of sat and listened to it as a song and i was about 14 at the time and i remember thinking i remember saying to my mum this is this song is fucking amazing who is it by i didn't swear i would wouldn't dare swear in front of my mum 'cause she would have kicked me out of the car. Um, but I said, This is this is this song's amazing. Who's it by? And she said, That's by the Pogues and Kirsten McCall. It's great. I said, Yeah, it is amazing. This is brilliant. And just over that Christmas and actually beyond, I became like so, like in- insanely obsessed with that song. To so the point that I was listening to it, like, every day, like, 30, 40 times. And, like, my parents recorded this thing on uh, on the BBC on BBC One that was on Christmas Eve, where it was, like, the best Christmas songs of the 80s thing, and that was, like, they covered the pogues about it, and it was, like, really interesting. And they interviewed, like, some of the pogues, like, Spider and Shane McGowan, they interviewed on there. And I'm thinking, like, these guys are so fucking cool. And then we just got cable, so the video for the song was on all the time. Like, I used to tape it every time it was on. Like I Like, I was going to lose
0: the tape. Like, I don't know what... So you had multiple recordings yes.
2: of the same song. Your tone insinuates that that's a weird thing to do, but I would suggest that you're weird for not doing that. Um But uh, yeah, I had yeah on VHS. I had about like maybe like twenty recordings of the fairy tale New York music video. So the the thing things to realize at the Pogues is that like if you don't if you only know that song is that they were actually like a really credible. Punk band, mm. like they were like the punk folk. They were quite innovative. um Shane McGowan had been in like punk bands. Spider been in punk bands as well. they were punk musicians who just happened to pick up Irish instrumentation to give it a go, and um and they sort of created this weird formula, like really frenetic sort of punk rock, but done with like folk instrumentation. Which we've done loads now, like Dropkick Murphys and Vlogging Molly and bands like that. But they were the first ones to do it. So they so, so they all looked really fucking cool. Like they weren't just like weird like Irish people with like tweed on and stuff. They were like they all dressed like punks and spider in the video i remember like they all went in like, black suits and spider was sat like on like, just like a like a lounge chair um just playing the tin whistle and he had like slick back hair he was in like a black suit with a buttoned up shirt and i think i remember thinking that guy was so fucking cool playing that really lame instrument <laughs> like i mean like that's is, that is that is so fucking rock and roll that like a guy can look as bad as that with like, an earring and stuff and still look amazing despite playing what was effectively a recorder <laughs> like it was a kid's instrument and i remember like cuz i was so I, I used to collect autographs cuz i was uh you know a Little bit, I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm loath to use the term legendary, but I was a legendary character at my school by which I mean b- victim of bullying. Um, but uh, I um, I wrote to him because I he had a website and I emailed him saying like I'm a huge fan. I said number one fan, which is so fucking lame. Um, and I think he was really flattered by that because obviously he probably didn't he probably never got any fan med at all because the Pogues hadn't really been around for a long time and no one's really a fan of it. It's like it's like saying that. Ringo Starr is your favorite beetle. Like no one goes after the tin
0: whistle player. Also, it's very interesting that you liked him so much, not because you loved the tin whistle, but no. because you loved it. him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I,
2: I don't know what it was. Like I just, like, he, he, I don't know. He, he was like there was just something about him. Like, I mean, I, I did love the tin whistle. and I sort of, I like took it up because of that song, because I loved the fact that like, the, the, like this song, rather than having like a guitar solo, like most songs had a tin whistle solo, and it was th- great. Like it was so cool um and i told him i was learning it and stuff and he like he posted me one of his own and like a signed photo of stuff and in hindsight that's the lamest thing in the world but at the time i was like fucking i was like this is incredible and we just chatted loads and like, i i'm um i started getting really into music and like really into bands and stuff and i started my own band at sixth form and then like a year after me and him started chatting the pogues reformed like for a load of tours they'd been broken up for like 15 years or something um but they reformed um because it was weird, like, Fairytale of New York, like, it was obviously always a big song, but it had, like, a weird sort of renaissance, I think, when Kirsten McCall died, and it became big again, like, really big, bigger than it's ever been before. And now it's, like, disregarded as the best Christmas song of all time, whereas at the time it was just kind of a song that people knew. Uh, yeah, so I, he like, he told me that they were reforming and said, like, if you want to come along, I can get you, like, passes and stuff. I said, that, that sounds fucking amazing. So I, went, I took ticket, he gave us tickets to go see them at Birmingham Academy in 2004, and it was me, my dad and my best friend at the time andy who uh, i also collected talk crafts with and uh we went up and i'd never been to a gig before i'd never been to see a live band before i didn't know what to expect and i didn't know like i mean i knew the songs because i bought the cd at that point and listened to all the songs and stuff but i didn't know how raucous they would be live and how in, like how raucous their fans would be because i did had a very sheltered upbringing like my mum wouldn't let me out at the end of my road growing up until i was about 18 <laughs> <laughs> so lame <laughs> Um, like I remember once I went to a birthday party when I was about seven that was at our next door neighbor's house, and she walked us to our next door neighbor's house <laughs> in oh, case wow. we got lost. It's a small road. Um, and, um, and yeah, so I went to see The Pose with it, and like, 'cause he got passes and stuff. And like, I remember like, th- as soon as they started playing, there was this mad rush from the bar. Like, and me and my mate were like, "Oh God!" Because we were was like two fucking weird nerds He just like yeah. went around hanging out stage doors and stuff like this fucking punk kid. I like just literally got knocked out. And my dad was loving it. He was wearing his beige fleece, and he was actually he was moshing. He's like he's like sixty this year, and he was losing his mind. He'd never been happier. But we were sort of like just standing on the fringes, just trying to sort of enjoy the music and stuff. And it was insane. It was a real baptism of fire because it was the first gig I'd ever been to up to that point. The only band I'd seen up to that point was Steps.
0: <laughs> That's a huge gear change. Yeah,
2: it really is because there was a lot. I mean, I, I think within the first 30 seconds, someone, I, I don't want to say deliberately, but someone tipped a pint on me. I'd like to think it was accidental, but
0: I'd probably gave up a vibe of someone who needed a pint tip. <laughs> We need to baptize this boy yeah. and let him know what <laughs> pose gig is like. Um, but yeah, it was fucking
2: great, and I went to go see them every year uh, for about five years, um, and it was always amazing. But I ne- I've still never met Shane McGowan. He's like, he's my he's like I mean, even though I do comedy now, and comedy is my favorite thing in the world, my my all time hero of any kind is him. And I'm a bit sad that I've met him, and I'm also sad that I probably never will. But at the same time, you know he's a very damaged guy so it probably be quite heavy
0: so uh, do you still speak to spider mm, in dispatches like he uh, he lives in the states now he
2: used to live in london but he lives in new orleans and um we we chat a bit like he's on twitter and stuff we follow each other and we chat on there occasionally but it's i mean again like he i, I was a fucking kid when i met him and you know now like i'm just doing something else well because before like he used to be really sort of supportive of my band and stuff like, he, we would, like, always send him our demos, and he'd, like, give us a really cool quote that we could use to help it get passed around and stuff. And he used to come see us play live. He was really, really cool and really supportive of us doing music. So I think, I mean, like, since I started doing comedy, I just don't really chat to him as much, because it's not really... Like, I can't be like, oh, come to my comedy gig, because he's
0: not gonna. <laughs> um, so with the autograph hunting... Yeah. How did that start? How did that start? Okay. Um, oh, God. So
2: I, uh, as a kid... I think I say kid. Probably I was probably old enough to know better. Um, When I was about maybe twelve or thirteen, I became really obsessed with Doctor Who, and this is before they brought Doctor Who back. This is because I'm twenty eight, so this is like two thousand and one. So that is like five, like like six years before they brought Doctor Who back to TV, and I was like properly obsessed with like the old Doctor Who's, and I don't really know how that happened. Yeah.
0: This that's interesting that you were into Doctor Who when it was not cool to be into Doctor Who. Yeah, I'd argue that it's now not cool to be into Doctor Who again. I
2: think yeah, it's come full circle, isn't it? Yeah. so i should get back into it is what you say. Yeah, <laughs> just get some get some, <laughs> some hipster points.
0: Yeah, so I
2: re I was really obsessed with it, and um, my and my dad like because he remembered it from being a kid and stuff would like he, it was one of the few interests that I had that he actually enabled because <laughs> he didn't like football. Um so he like he bought us tickets to go to this doctor who convention um like just it just as a surprise for me like i didn't ask him to, he just did it, and it was really nice, and we and it was like a whole weekend and this all sounds like i'm being really sincere but i I, i'm conscious of how much of a fucking dweeb i was and how lame it all was and they were like fucking grown men there in costumes it was all like the old doctor who's and all their companions and stuff like just doing signings all day and doing like q a's and stuff and i was i had like i've always been like really obsessive and like not in like an endearing kind of sweet way in a kind of like that is deeply unsettling sort of way like like i was talking to you before we start the podcast i have so far this year i've watched schindler's list four times and it's march that's 12 hours yes <laughs> that's let's... longer than a working day that i've watched schindler's list through like over and over again i've always been like that and i was really obsessed with colin baker who a lot of people confuse with tom baker who's the most iconic doctor who's the fourth one colin baker was, was, that was the, the, one sixth with the scarf one. that was tom baker yeah yeah so colin baker was the sixth doctor like a sort of really sort of like gauche kind of like Long jacket with like loads of patchwork sort of colours on it and stuff. He's not the one who dressed like a cricketer, is he? That's Peter Davidson. He was on before Colin Baker. He was also at the convention, but yeah, Peter Davidson, But Colin Baker was like my favourite. Um, didn't have been doing it for like he, he was he was the, he had the shortest tenure of any doctor, but yeah, he he was my favourite. And I went along and like took loads of shit from to sign. I was like properly like hanging around him like a horrible bad smell, and he just I think he just indulged me because I was like a kid and he was kind of like, oh he's quite sweet and not like a sinister. Man, but I remember like like getting all these autographs and stuff, and like it just got this weird sort of bug for getting everything signed, and it just sort of carried on after that and bled into like writing to people and going to stage doors and stuff. And it was so far because I haven't sold any of them, a complete waste of seven years of my life.
0: (laughs) So when you were getting stuff signed, yeah, is this a signature book or is this specific like items associated? Uh, it was it varied. To be honest,
2: like it depended on who I was going to meet. Like, I'm the most starstruck I've ever been was when I met Neil Finn from Crowded House and I nearly had a panic attack. Wow, (laughs) it's Neil Finn from Crowded House who gives a fuck? Like, it's so pathetic. Like, I've I I mean, I've met some really cool, I've I've, since I started doing stand up, I've gigged with some of my favorite childhood heroes and been fine. But I literally had the shakes when I met Neil Finn from Crowded House to the point that, like, when I handed him. When I handed in like my CD this time, I dropped it <laughs> into a <laughs> puddle. It was so lame, but yeah, like I was. So I was sort of, like if I if, if it was one I was a particularly big fan, I'd to take like a CD along or something uh, or whatever, like merch, something like that. I wouldn't ever buy anything especially, but I like, I would also get like book signers and shit, and you ha- you had to buy the book. You couldn't just. Not buy the book and just go like, uh, I've come here for some free autographs (laughs) and say up and just chuck some fucking like (laughs) paper at like Norman Hunter, the former England centre back or something.
0: So you'd buy books that you may not necessarily ever read? just so that you could get some yeah. stuff signed.
2: Yeah, well, I did for the first, like, year, and then I got wise and just thought, I'll just pick up a book in Waterstones that is the book, get it signed, and just dump it
0: somewhere. buying <laughs> it? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's bad, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, God. So someone somewhere, a, a book dedicated to George, just, like, signed by fucking, like by Phil Power Taylor, <laughs> <laughs> the former <laughs> darts champion, just on, like, a stand somewhere in Waterstones. Yeah, that's bad, isn't it? Where's all this stuff now? It's all at my dad's house in, like, several crates, and I think if you went through it... Because I think a lot of the people I wrote to back then have since died. A lot of people I actually, like met and stuff. Like, So I've got like autographs from people who probably worth quite a bit of money. And I was going to sell some to fund my Edinburgh. But at the same time, I've got oh, like, a really weird, sort of pathetic emotional attachment to them. And I'm not really sure why. And some of them are rubbish and probably worthless. But yeah, they're still there. Like Loads of signed photos, loads of signed books and DVDs and videos and stuff like that. Yeah. I suppose oh
0: the, the, the thing is is that like the ones that no one will care about, it's not worth selling them. And yeah. the big ones, they're probably the ones that you care about more. Yeah, And exactly. so it would make you more money, but it would maybe affect you more emotionally if you were yeah. to sell them.
2: There's a few little anomalies. Like I had Thatcher, and I sold that for 100 quid and didn't have a problem with that. I, in fact, I, I felt a little bit like I was sticking it to the man. And that that was a proud moment. But there's not many of those... Like I've got ones that are probably worth more than that that I wouldn't be as willing to part with, mm. which is really weird because I need money. <laughs> I'm so
0: broke all the time. So what are some of your favourite ones?
2: Uh, my favourite ones? Uh, so the Shane McGowan one I love because it's mental. I mean, I, he's very outspoken in the press about his support for the Irish Republican Army. And, you know, he's allowed to be, you know, it's a free country and stuff. And, you know, they had their reasons for what they did, but they were still bombing stuff. So it's mm. like, it's uncomfortable. But also, yeah, I've got like a, I've got Elton John... Which was quite nice, and Dustin Hoffman—that's a good one. I've got a framed one of John Hurt somewhere because John Hurt was like my always my favourite actor and stuff. Um, Ringo Starr got a signed Thomas video. Wow, Ringo Starr, yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it?
0: That's an amazing thing to get signed by Ringo. Yeah, Starr.
2: It's good. I'm not sure, I don't know why he did it. I literally just, I just got like, no, I'm not signing that shit. Like, send me, send me rubber salt. Don't yeah. send me this. Um, but yeah he signed it and that was really uh, that's worth quite a lot I think but again I don't want to set it because it's like a video I had since I was a kid I just sent him like, the, this sleeve and it like took like two years and he replied was like he just came back signed I was like oh my fucking god Ringo wow. Starr replied
0: and he won't sign stuff now yeah have you
2: seen that video mm, it's, it's so funny it's so fu- I mean like I I love the Beatles I love McCartney and I love Ringo Starr but they have gone I mean they're obviously mad <laughs> because like have you seen the one with Paul McCartney with Meat Free Mondays oh it's great so fucking funny I love him I, you can do it right now, please. <laughs> yeah, What's it's he like, doing?
0: It's like, yeah, we, only one take. All we need to do is one take. <laughs> Absolutely
2: fine. Dark MeetFreeMondays.com. Meet oh, God, he's mental. But then I got McCartney. Never got McCartney, which is sad. Because, you know, but I never even, I'd never. i love to see McCartney live, though. That'd be good, wouldn't it?
0: Would it still now? Is he still
2: any good? He wasn't very good at the Olympics, was he? And that, But that was about like five years ago. So maybe he's got better, but he is older, so he's probably got worse. Yeah,
0: I mean, I... <laughs> I don't. I think uh, at that point, practice. He's done a lot of it. He's phoning it in.
2: He's phoning. He doesn't care. Just put him. Just put him on. Just FaceTime in next time, McCartney. You don't need to be there. Um, But yeah, he uh, yeah. So Ringo's a good one. But yeah, he starts signing stuff now. It's sad. I love that
0: video though. It's so funny. It's glorious. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. But please don't send me anything. (laughs) Please. What I like about both of those videos is that clearly no one in the entourage of either of the Beatles <laughs> knows how to make videos. It's
2: so funny. They, they, they haven't even consulted. Because they,
0: they're in the Beatles, they don't think they have to
2: consult anyone on anything. They're like, fuck it, I know what I'm doing. It's just put a camera on. But like, at no point, like, he just keeps saying peace and love. Why? <laughs> it's so aggressive. <laughs> Like, uh, never has Peace and Love felt so aggressive. (laughs) Peace and Love, Peace and Love, but I've got too much to do. He keeps
0: saying he's got too much to do. What's he doing? What is he doing? Is he working his way through the backlog? He must be done by now. I feel that's what he was... He said... said How was he, like,
2: 75 now?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. If he wants to sort of, like, slow down
2: a bit, that's fine.
0: Would you want to spend your... Like, George, when you eventually become megastar... Yeah, um, yeah. Like, when... Would you want to stop signing stuff? Uh, I think, I, uh, despite all the people I wrote to
2: and all the people that were really nice to you when I um, used to collect autographs, I like the idea of being like Jack Nicholson and just throwing stuff in the bin, just not doing it, <laughs> just be like, can't be fucked, not doing it. And just like, when I do do it occasionally, it's only ever for like a really good cause, <laughs> so it's like worth loads of money. Um, but no, I don't know, I, I, I guess probably like, I mean, with, with the amount I eat, I'm probably going to lose a hand to diabetes anyway. So I'll probably say 50. Just because by then I'll definitely... Even if I haven't lost a hand of diabetes, I'll be bored of it. And I'll probably just start writing race hate on things. (laughs) Not the words race hate. I'll be specific to the person who's written to me.
0: Or or you could uh, write Up the IRA as a... Up uh, the
2: IRA. (laughs) Carry on the legacy that Shane McGowan started in the early to mid-noughties. Bless him.
0: What I have noticed with that CD is that you say that you love it a lot. Yeah. But it is... um, it's well, knackered, isn't it? It's knackered. Yeah, it's damaged. Yeah.
2: So here we got. So we got uh, the autographs there. So yeah, it's, it's felt, I got water on it as well.
0: Yeah, I mean this. This doesn't sound like something that you've looked after properly. No, I haven't looked after many of my autographs.
2: They're all they like folded in half and just all over the place. But the the autograph there. So
0: yeah, but that's what I don't quite understand. Is what that do you mean? Well, that you're you're getting the autographs. Yes. All right. But right. you're not preserving them correctly.
2: Preserving them in a box under my dad's bed. So that's similar, isn't it?
0: I think that you enjoyed getting the signatures more than having the signatures. They
2: were a burden. Yeah, it was a little bit like you know, like how like some people get um, like postpartum depression when they have a kid. Right. It's like post autograph depression. Like when you got your like, I don't love this. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't care that. You know, um, Tony Robinson, Summer Black had a Fort goes forth DVD. I don't care. The build up is—it's like Christmas. The anticipation is everything.
0: Yeah. When you get it, you're like, oh, I couldn't give a shit. Couldn't give a shit." They call it autograph hunting. It must be like the same kind of excitement as yeah. No, I used
2: to do it on a horse uh, with with bloodhounds, yeah. <laughs> just uh, just hounding down people at stage doors, presenting them with a sharpie and a really sort of dogged photo of, like. <laughs> I is that Handy Andy? Andy? Andy. <laughs> 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 is that Craig from Big Brother One? <laughs>
0: <laughs> is, that, is that Brian Bellows? <laughs> <laughs> is that
2: is that Brian Conley? <laughs> Brian, can you? It's a puppet. Can you write that on the thing? Is that all right? <laughs> yeah god i was so so, so, so creepy yeah. Some would say i still am but now it's now it's a stand-up persona in quotation marks so i'll get away with it but as a teenager it was just who i was <laughs> just a weird guy just wandering around
0: um with your uh trip to the doctor who convention yeah um but w- can we keep
2: all that in by the way that was all great
0: oh yeah that was that was fantastic yeah why wouldn't we?
2: I think 'cause I think 'cause there's a worry that if we smash it too hard it's gonna be really hard for Phil Wang and Reid and Jackson to compare to this podcast.
0: That's absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, think
2: you should put it in I mean, think yeah.
0: I mean I will say, that's definitely saying it. This bit where we're talking about if we're gonna keep it in, we'll keep not it say it. in. let's no, keep it in. Keep, keep it all in. We're raw. This is <laughs> like this is like, like dealing and Skinner Unplanned, don't <laughs> they? in a way.
2: Got theirs as well. That's pathetic. I sat next to deal at the Chortle Awards and I couldn't look him in the eye.
0: <laughs> what, because you had his signature? No,
2: because he sang Three lines, and that's like the soundtrack to my youth.
0: And all you could think about was that fact. Yeah. And you wanted to
2: say It was it. too much. It was too much, oh. yeah.
0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Uh, So earlier, when I was driving you here, you alluded to the fact that um, you did something at this uh, blue box convention, which um, I I I can see you're holding your arm in a slightly stressed way. Oh Um, I think you need to share what you shared with... um, with a previous doctor.
2: Oh God. See, when we were talking about before, I was all Billy Big Bollocks. Like, this is such a funny story, but now that I'm aware that it's being recorded and published online, and at least, at least my parents will listen to this. They always listen to podcasts that I do. Oh God. Okay, fine. Um, so, so embarrassing. Um, so as I said, I was obsessed with Dr. Who, um, before it came back. um, I'm particularly obsessed with Colin Baker, the Sixth Doctor, who, in my opinion, is the, still the greatest Doctor. I think, he's the, I think he's the best actor to ever play Doctor Who, in my opinion. I don't know if you've ever seen any of his mm, stuff.
0: Were some of his famous episodes? Um, I wouldn't
2: say any like famous ones. The, 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 the whole last series he did was uh, like a fourteen episode compendium called uh, Trial of the Time Lord, where it was, like him on trial on Gallifrey um
0: the whole series is a trial
2: yeah it was really weird like law and order they were trying to be conceptual and it just didn't work and that's why they pulled him and normally most doctor who stories are like two or three episodes long and mm. they sort of move on to whatever uh but yeah he had, he had a load of really good ones but yeah i really um i really really liked him i thought he was really like really good so i i wanted to meet him so my dad got us tickets to this doctor who convention that he was at and uh much in the same way i am with women i was very full on with him um uh, but unlike women he wasn't put off by that so uh it was it was he was really sweet and really indulged me like across it was like a three-day thing like a whole weekend and the whole time he was like the nicest man like he was so lovely and like made a special to chat to me and stuff between stuff he got me up on stage for A Q&A with him yeah he was he was just fucking great and really nice and um and in so I, d- I went to a technology college and we did design technology which is like practical making shit. And for like an art project I I made with my own little hands a really sinister, very detailed clay sort of death mask of Colin Baker's face. <laughs> <laughs> Complete with like 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 it was his head. And like, I don't know if you know this, but like he had like see like um he had this, he wore a really sort of garish um like sort of blazer like with like quite a long sort of frock coat thing with like with like patchwork material like loads of really horrible clashing colors but i loved it and he also wore a sort of blue polka dot sort of like neckerchief thing almost like Dex's midnight runners so i just did the head with just the neckerchief made out of clay as well it was so creepy and i made it knowing i was going to that convention with the intention of giving it to him which at the time felt like oh, it could only be a good idea. And like, it wasn't remotely sinister or similar to just taking a mold of his cock and bollocks and giving it to him. It wasn't like that. It was just a nice boy giving someone, I mean, like, who wants that? I mean, what, what? what's the lack of, the lack of understanding and the lack of like empathy that assuming that someone would like, if you made that for me, Darrell, I'd be very flattered, you know, because I know that you look up to me as a comedian. Yeah. But, equally
0: it would make me me never want to see you again i would never want to see you again um it's quite intense being given your i mean what do you do with a clay model of your own head
2: yeah it was quite big as well how big i'd say it was about i'd say about eight inches tall so about the size of about the size of a human head (laughs) (laughs) Same size as a human head oh god um so like across the whole weekend he'd been so lovely to me to the point that it almost felt like he and me were friends, or I sort of kidded myself into thinking that he and me were friends. And so on the last day, because he was like such a nice bloke, he kind of like did the, like the most Q and A's and stuff and like met the most fans and sort of like went around and chatted to everyone. And, uh, he was doing like, he was in, he was doing like the sort of closing of the, of the convention Q and A at the end of the last day. Like it was literally the last thing that was going to happen the whole weekend. And, um, Oh, God. And he was up on stage, and he was being interviewed by the guy who was, like, interviewing everyone. The the, the guy who organised the convention, basically, was, like, interviewing all the guests. And I... and Uninvited. (laughs) Uninvited. There was no... It was like an out-of-body experience. I just got up in the middle of him talking to this guy. There were, like, 200, like, nerdy Doctor Who fans just (laughs) sat down watching like and listening to Colin Baker chat and they wanted to hear Colin Baker chat and unprompted without any like breaking the conversation I got out of my seat and walked towards the stage where he was sat on the stage like there was like two chairs facing each other and just sort of went up like holding it like a holy grail like almost like I was like gonna like give him holy communion but with his face I was sort of carrying it up to the stage and said I made this for you at school. And that's what I said. I didn't even say, excuse me, Colin, do you mind if I just interrupt a second? I just want to say, so guys, i had a really nice time this weekend. Nothing like that. No like showmanship. Just, I made you this uh, uh, for you. I made this for you. It's your face. Like, like a serial killer, would, like a serial killer would do. Um, And he was so gracious and like lovely about it. And at the time I was like, this is the best moment of my entire life. But in hindsight, it makes me want to die. It makes me want to kill myself. But I got up on the stage and I presented him with the death mask, which is what it was. <laughs> and uh, and, he, uh, and he said, oh, because I, I, obviously, oh, no. obviously, obviously I hadn't, ob- <laughs> God. obviously I hadn't said, I made this for you, for everyone else to hear. I hadn't said it loud enough. So he had to sort of, t- he had to sort of go, <laughs> Oh, thank you. Because obviously, like, you can't just take it and go, like, bet your seat there. Like, you can't just carry on with that. You know, he had to be like, he had to break out of it and sort of stand with his arm around me and go, look what George made for me at school. And everyone cheered.
0: Oh. Which is worse than, like, booing, because it enabled me. <laughs> it, it justified the decision to make a, it, it. Oh, so in that moment, you thought that everything you had done was the right thing. Yeah. At the time, I thought this is the best thing I've ever
2: done. There's no way I'm ever going to look back on this and feel a horrible, horrible, overwhelming cloak of shame. And they applauded. They fucking applauded. They applauded. I don't get applause for my comedy. (laughs) i got applause for a deeply sinister, ashen-faced death mask I'd made of Colin Baker, the sixth Doctor Who. And I, oh, this is bad. I tweeted him. Uh, since I've been doing comedy, I've got ideas of above, above my station I think I'm actually a really big deal. And I tweeted him saying, like, hey, so uh, do you remember when I made you a death mask? That's pretty weird, wasn't it? And I said, I bet you threw it away. And he said, no, I've still got it. He still has it. Why does he still have it?
0: Burn, incinerate it. That's, what does voodoo It must mean something to him, then. What, evidence? I mean, that's all it could possibly be. Uh, well, by the sounds of it, like... He- he became quite friendly with you over that weekend. So this is, this is the, this is the horrible thing. And this is,
2: this is the point, the tipping point came about a year later when I asked my dad to drive me to Basildon from Bristol <laughs> to meet him at a DVD sign. they would reissued some of the, um, Oh, Doctor Who's on DVD. And he was there. No, it wasn't DVD. It was, um, it was big finish. They, 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 the, the living Doctor Who actors would sort of revisit them and do like new stories for audio. And he was like signing a CD of that. And I went along with my dad to Basildon and uh, and he didn't remember me. <laughs> <gasps> I, was, I was mortified. It was only a year later and like I was so crestfallen and he couldn't... And he called... Oh, God. I think he must have been in a bad mood but he told me... Because I took loads of stuff from the sign again thinking nothing of it because like, oh, I'm being kind of nauseous, it's fine. And he called me greedy <gasps> for taking so much stuff from the sign. And I just remember that as like... That was the beginning of the end.
0: <laughs> what, well, that's like ending your signing career? Yeah, that was the. That was
2: it petering out because I sort of realised I can't be friends with these people. I have nothing to offer these people as a friend. I'm just a weird, fucking awful nerd. It was so bad. It's so much shame.
0: I don't think you should feel as much shame. Why? Well, especially like the time you gave him the bust. Don't it... call it a bust.
2: Because <laughs> Def- a bust. It was a death mask. A bust implies um, something resembling artistic uh, flair. Uh, this was a death mask. This was this was bad.
0: I mean, does it look like his face? It's like a perfectly flat clay, like baked as well. Like, Bear in mind,
2: possibly worse than giving it to Colin Baker himself is the fact that I made this in school for a graded project and my teacher had to put that in like a, a, a kiln to like make it into a proper piece of clay that I could then paint as if that wasn't completely mental.
0: So was the very final signature that you ever got Colin Baker's? No.
2: Um, I broke my, uh, sort of autograph chastity when I met the Strokes, uh, which is way cooler than anyone else I've met before or since. Um, I met the Strokes outside the Colston Hall and uh, I was about eighteen, and I was really into music, and it didn't feel lame. It felt fine because like, everyone else there was quite cool and indie-ish, and not just a bunch of fucking weird people wearing tracksuits, like shiny tracksuits. Everyone, every, everyone who collects autographs looks like Jimmy Savile used to. Like everyone, <laughs> everyone. That's that's the uniform. Um, yeah, that was the last one I got because I think because I, well, I've never I, like when I started doing comedy, I would never, I would never dream of doing that. Even though I've like gig with some of my absolute heroes i've been really lucky to do that i would never i couldn't like it's too like you're too much like you're not like obviously you're not on their level but like you're too much a contemporary now that that compromises that sometimes i get really tempted like i did a gig with harry redknapp uh which wasn't a, it wasn't a gig like he was doing like an after dinner chat thing and i was in, comparing it and that's the closest i've come to try and get anything and i still bottled it because i just i felt too much shame <laughs> so ashamed so ashamed but yeah have you ever got new aircraft daryl
0: i think i may have got something signed somewhere along the line but i genuinely yeah. i tell you what this is the only signature that i have ever got it was izzy wizzy at butlins no way um, who the fuck is that <laughs> Just, just, just a uh, uh, at Butlins. There was this group, of, like you know, the Redcoats.
2: Yes, I know the Redcoats. There was yeah. like the
0: Super Redcoats, which were the Whiz Kids.
2: I, have literally never heard of that. That well,
0: sounds like a cult. They, they were just like some children's entertainers. Were they, were they communists? <laughs> is that what they? were? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they were teaching us like how to plough the land and stuff like that. No, plough the land? No, they this weren't really. <laughs> <laughs> they not No, like, you... that was a good joke, mate. Thank you izzy wizzy who was just one of the people going there i was like 10 years old she was going back to her chalet yeah uh, and my mum went that's izzy wizzy uh and so she-
2: <laughs> <laughs> hounded her to her chalet yeah
0: so it, she just signed like a bit of paper that we had and uh. that is the only signature i've ever got Don't do they mind. have a kit do they have a kiln at butland's gonna make a little death mask for her for the end of your trip <laughs> no she ne- loved that never felt compelled um the only question that I've got left for you is: you mentioned a couple of times your friend who you used to go and get signatures. Andy, yeah, yeah. Do you still speak?
2: Um, no, we're not. We don't see each other anymore. Uh, not not because we fallen out. Like he still lives in Bristol. I live in London now. I saw last time I saw him was about three years ago. He just happened to see me waiting at a bus stop. Um, but he, I think, he's an auctioneer now. Like because he because he, he's actually gone properly into that.
0: Oh, wow. side of it
2: like yeah he's like, actually like makes money out of it and is like a businessman and is doing really well whereas i i've i basically live hand to mouth by calling everyone cunts all the time <laughs> um but it's close to the dream isn't it um but yeah yeah I, I'd, I'd like to see him again i haven't seen him in fucking ages but he was always a little he was always been quite he was always very switched on and i think he much like most people just indulged me because <laughs> i got him onto it i got him onto doing it Like, onto doing autographs and stuff. Like, it was my thing that he sort of just latched onto. But now it's like his livelihood, yeah. He's like an auctioneer, yeah.
0: I've never thought of getting signatures as being any use to creating a career.
2: Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous that someone else doing you a favour for free can make you a a lot of money. Yeah. It's um, a weird business model, isn't it? Like, the idea that, like, you go to a safe door and you get, like, fucking some, like, actor to sign a programme and you can sell that. They, they've they not given permission to sell it. They've just signed it out of the, like, oh, maybe they just want this. Yeah. But you make money from it. That feels
0: like a massive con, doesn't it? But I guess you put the legwork in, don't you? I suppose. Yeah. But it's also, it's in like, I suppose in signing, you're giving permission for it. There must be some sort of laws around it that it's absolutely yeah, fine.
2: I, w- I also think there's like, a, there's like a moral question, isn't there? Because I remember there was this guy, um, he wasn't like a mate of mine in and Andy's, he was just a guy that we saw like around, because he would always be at the same sort of place and the same sort of people were gigging at wherever. And He was like boasting about the fact that he had basically ambushed um, Sid Barrett. Do you know Sid Barrett? No. So Sid Barrett was in Pink Floyd. He was the he was the founder of Pink Floyd, and uh, had a really severe, uh, like life changing nervous breakdown. I think in like 1969 or something like that. Um, like shaved all his body hair off, put loads of weight on, and then like just walked out of the recording studio and just walked all the way home to Cambridge. Like basically, little life was like a really sort of like weird like recluse. I think he moved in with his mum or something and like he changed that up to his original birth name, which I can't remember what it was, but like his stays in with Sid Barry, it was called something else. And this guy found out where he lived in Cambridge and like went to his door, pretend to be a postman and got him to sign for something. That, got uh, his autograph that way. That's fucking mental, isn't it? That's like another level of like that's sinister.
0: Yeah, the fun element is totally removed at that point. Yeah, because uh, because I suppose if if you're going to like at a convention or you're at a gig or something, I feel like they've got control. Yeah. they can choose if they want to sign your stuff. Whereas you're tricking someone into signing someone something. Someone who,
2: who who has made an executive decision not to be in the limelight anymore. He's in one of the biggest bands of all time, and he chooses to live a life of complete anonymity to the point he's changed his name. But to hunt that guy down, I think that's really, like, not on and no. quite sinister. That's where the kind of morality goes out the window a bit. There are some weird fucking people out there. <laughs> like, I mean, I say that. I made a death mask of Colin Baker. So, you know, <laughs> I can't judge him. Why am I judging him? What a creep. <laughs> Fuck, I'm so full of shit. I'm so full of shit. But, yeah, God, I have so much shame for that.
0: <laughs> well, George, thank you so much for uh, sharing that shame.
2: I mean, I would say thank you for having me, but I regret all of this.
0: So. <laughs> that is pretty much the general uh, reply at the end of the show. It's, yeah, I, I hated doing that. I mean, it was—it was, it was not, it's always nice to spend time with you, Daryl.
2: You're a lovely lad, and we have a lot of fun together, but you may not see me again. I might just go and kill myself.
0: Bloody <laughs> <Flatty laughs> hell. Um, right, well, if you don't do that, um, how can people um, follow you or see your gigs? Oh, okay.
2: Uh, I don't fucking know. Like... I, i'm not really good at that sort of stuff Are You on twitter yeah i'm on twitter just g Rigdon comedian find me on there uh if you're in bristol um i run two gigs here still a really nice oppo last sunday of the month at the robin hood and uh the bunch of Smoke and mirrors every monday but again it's probably be, this will probably be like such a good podcast that goes into like a time capsule so this this plug will be irrelevant in about five years time so uh <laughs> it basically just 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 keep an nice eye to the ground because i am pretty much smashing it everywhere And I'm probably the voice of a generation now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: All right. It's been a pleasure having you, George. Thanks for having me, mate. It's been fun. Um, Thank you for listening to the podcast. This has been I'd Sooner Forget This. If you could do us a favor, make sure that you click subscribe. Give the podcast a review. It costs you nothing, but it is like well worth it for me. Um, Yeah. Make sure that you listen to next week's show. I've been Daryl Smith. Bye.